0: Welcome to Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I'm your host, Melissa Brunetti. In this second season of Mind Your Own Karma, we're tackling the subject of adoption. Yes, adoption most of the time is a wonderful experience. You have the generous birth parents, the excited adoptive parents, and this lucky little baby. Everyone lives happily ever after, right? But what I want you to know is, there's so much more to these stories. I'm an adoptee myself, and I wanna bring all sides of the adoption journey to you and hopes to educate you and to bring understanding to the subject. We're about to get real and raw here, so let's dive right in. Hey there, Karma crew. It's Melissa Brunetti, your host of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. I am so glad you are here today. I am diving into a book that I found. It's called You Don't Look Adopted by Anne Heffernan. And let me tell you something. It's a very easy read. It's like little tiny short snippets of stories and kind of telling her life story in all different aspects and things that happen from being an adoptee. It will make you laugh. It will make you cry, especially if you're an adoptee. There's just so much fun in this book. It's really hard to put it down but in kind of a satirical way. So it's kind of like making fun of yourself when we're talking about kind of very serious issues, but kind of making light of it in a way. I think it well represents how we feel as an adoptee in every aspect of relationships in life. And even Nancy Verrier, who wrote The Primal Wound, she even said, I love this book and read it all in one sitting. I just couldn't put it down. And I kind of feel the same way. I, I plunged through a bunch of it and I just thought I have to bring this to the podcast. Some of this stuff it's so well written. We as adoptees always feel like we are not validated for our wounds. And she writes in a way that really puts it into perspective for people that are not adopted. I always talk about how huge validation is for us and how it's so difficult to get that validation from people. And I think if everyone would read this book, you would understand where we're coming from. I mean, just little things. I was on Facebook and I saw a thread where somebody said, I finally got to see my original birth certificate. And I finally know for the first time what time I was born. And those are things that just you know, people take for granted. It's like, why is that such a big deal? But it is a big deal for adoptees, all these little things that we just don't know, that everyone else just takes for granted. And even this author, Anne Heffrin, she says a little, she has a little story about how people are like, oh, you were adopted. And then the next, and you're like, yeah. And the next question is, but you have great parents, right? And you're like, yeah. And then that's the end of the story. That's the end. Like, oh, well, then you're good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm good. You know? And I think every adoptee could tell that same story. We've all been through it, right? So there's just a lot of things that I could relate to in this book. And I think adoptees would also. So if you haven't gotten the book, again, you don't look adopted by Anne Heffren. I am going to be talking about some of that today in this episode. So, I want to read the very first few sentences that she has written. And this little section is called Once Upon a Time. Most of my life, I have felt both real and not real. I have felt real in the sense that I have a social security number and an online presence and a Pulse. And I have felt not real in the sense that my birth mother wanted nothing to do with me once I arrived. Since an infant is born with a sense of self, not separate from the mother, I believe part of my brain took a nosedive in the gap between mothers and part of my brain decided I must not exist. And in some crazy, unexplainable way, nothing changed in that part of my brain, even as an adult. When you are in conflict with yourself, it's like you're a car whose gas pedal is also the brake. It's hard to get anywhere. The deepest conflict the thing that was doing the most damage to me and how I was living my life was that my story, my story that began the day we got you caused people, primarily my mother pain. And so logically it was a bad story. And if the story of your origin is bad, that means so are you. And I could totally relate to that because I remember After meeting my birth mother and after things kind of went sideways with her, I kind of felt like I was the cause of her depressive episodes and I was the cause or the thing that made her life go sideways. I was the thing that made her life go in a totally different direction I was the cause of when things started to go bad. I remember feeling if I had never been born, that her life would have been a lot better. And because of the pain that she endured having to have me and then give me away, ruined all her hopes and dreams of what she wanted to do and be because it forever changed her because I was born. And I often felt that the rejection that I felt the second time after we reconnected and that just didn't work out, that second rejection was because seeing me and getting to know me and having a relationship with me was a painful reminder of the day her life changed forever. And I know what everyone that has not been adopted thinks when I say that. And what they normally say is, that makes no sense. That's not your fault. None of that's your fault. And I know in my mind that that makes all the sense in the world, but I still feel responsible for all of it, whether I had control over it or not. I still feel responsible for her pain, right or wrong. Those are my feelings. So I can totally relate to what she's saying right there. And then she goes on, there's a little section called Psycho. And I just had to laugh because it says, if you want a Vegas wedding or the chance to file a restraining order, date an adopted person. And I just had to laugh. That's hilarious. She goes on to say, I will fall in love with you and start fantasizing about our life together. I will imagine walking your dog and I will imagine learning to cook the foods your mother cooks. I'll think of all the ways I can make your life better. I will be 100% in until I start feeling like I'm losing my edges, my sense of who I am, and then, if we didn't get to Vegas in time, the relationship will end suddenly because I will get furious over something you did. I will tell you exactly what is on my mind with all the bitterness I have stored in my guts, and you will wonder what happened to the funny and sweet person you had met not all that long ago. If you are the one to break up with me, the story will be different. I will think I'm going to die and I will write long emails and texts telling you about the power of my love and how in five years you will realize letting go of me was the biggest mistake of your life. She goes on a little later to say, after two or three weeks pass and the hormones and God knows what else settles, I will look back and wonder where I had gone, why I had thought a man, none of my friends considered viable dating material was the perfect one for me. And what's funny about this is it's not even about loving someone because a lot of times these people that we get into relationships with as adoptees you know, you find out later down the road that it's just not working. And when they let go of the relationship, it really isn't the relationship that you are trying to hold on to. It's that you're trying to avoid that abandonment again. And so you try and sell yourself and tell them all the reasons why they're going to regret that decision because you are such a great person. How are you letting this great person go? And it just reinforces the what's wrong with me mindset that we have. It reinforces all of our insecurities and just enhances all those behaviors that we bring into relationships. And it just snowballs every time we get into the next relationship and we can't figure out what's wrong with us. And it all boils down to that. We keep what we want the most at arm's length. We want it, but we fear it at the same time. And so it's just, again, that gas and break, gas and break. And it just goes out of control. And the author kind of reiterates what I just said by saying, how can I be so independent and so needy is beyond me. Half the time I feel like I will die of loneliness and the other half, I feel like I will die if I am not alone. And boy, does that sum it up in a nice little nutshell right there. It's so true. There's another part of the book that I kind of found satirically hilarious. She talks about having her daughter, Her first child, I think it's her only child, but it was her first born child and, you know, the labor and everything that happened. And then she's like, I look down at my child, my first blood relative that I've ever laid eyes on. And because her husband is Asian, her daughter looks Asian and she looks at her and she says, here's my flesh and blood. And she looks adopted. Because she doesn't look like me. So here she's waited all this time to see a resemblance of herself in someone. Which all adoptees just want so badly. And her daughter doesn't look like her. So I mean again it was like oh, sad. But at the same time the way she writes is hilarious. So I I just had to laugh about that. But yes yeah, sometimes there's so many adoptees that that is the first blood relative that they've ever laid eyes on is their child. And it's amazing to us when we look at that little baby that that that's part of us. That's the first person that we've ever met that's actually been a part of us. And it can be so surreal that it doesn't feel real. And the author writes, she was the first person I had ever seen who was related to me by blood. And the irony of it was because her father was Japanese, she looked adopted. So again, I want to laugh and cry at the same time. I just love the way she writes. And then she goes on to talk about the first time that she talked to her birth mother. And this is something that is another thing that I've seen played over and over again in the adopted community. And it says, I first talked to my birth mother over the phone when I was in my 40s after a search agency turned up her high school picture and current address for me. And when she answered the phone, her response to my introduction was so canned, it was like she'd been standing by the phone all those years waiting for me to call so she could tell me her story. You have the wrong person, she said, and I listened to her talk about her cousin and how her cousin was my birth mother, how her cousin had gotten drunk and had a, had sex at a party, that she, Beth, my birth mother, had given, so that Beth had felt responsible and had let her cousin use her, Beth's identity, when she gave birth at the hospital. The story continued. Shortly after my birth, Beth said her cousin, my supposed birth mother, was in a car accident on the George Washington Bridge. You were adopted by good people, Beth said to me in her flat voice. This was a closed adoption. I need you to leave me alone. I didn't know what to say, so I asked if she could write down the story and mail it to me. She reluctantly agreed, and I gave her my name and address. I wasn't sure she was writing it down, but a week later, I got an envelope with my name and address and scratchy handwriting. Both my first name and last name were spelled wrong. The story she had told me on the phone was repeated in the letter. Then she says, a few years later, I wrote her a letter saying that I came from a family of lawyers and storytellers and that I didn't believe the story she had told me. I told her I believed that she was my birth mother, that the high school picture I had of her looked so much like me. We had the same steep cheekbones, the same light eyes, the same overlapping incisor. I included a photo of me holding my daughter in the hopes that my daughter's sweet little face would melt her heart. She not only had a daughter, she had a beautiful granddaughter. I received a letter in response. Yes, she said. I was right. She was my birth mother. But she said it had been a closed adoption and good people had adopted me. You have a good life, she wrote. Please don't contact me again. And that was the end. No mention of my daughter. No mention of loving me, of missing me, of wishing she could have kept me. So later, she thought you know I have two half brothers and if she doesn't want to have a relationship with me what about them I want to have a relationship with them and they should have a chance to you know do that if they want to and so she contacted Beth her birth mother again and she said I understand you don't want to talk to me I would like to talk to your sons could you please give me their contact information She said, minutes later, I got a furious email in response. This was a closed adoption. You are invading my privacy. And I love her response. She said, I hadn't signed anything. I hadn't agreed to the closed adoption. And I love that because that is so true. And neither did her brothers. They didn't sign anything saying, I don't want to know my adopted sister ever. These are the casualties of these closed adoptions where people are making decisions for other people down the road and things are sealed. You can't get your birth records. So thank God for the Internet and genealogy and ancestry and DNA right now, because otherwise we have no rights to any of our information. And it's just ridiculous nowadays. I just it. Yeah, you know how I feel about it. The last thing she said here, it says, if you don't want me to contact your sons, then fine, I won't in exchange for the true story of my birth. Why do you have to do that to get your answers? So she has to agree not to contact her own flesh and blood who are grown adults in exchange for her true birth story. And her birth mother said that she would tell her then. But I don't want you to ever contact me again or my sons. That was the end of the email. So in the email, she finds out that the story that she's being told is that her mother was at a party and was date raped. And she says, that made so much sense to me. Maybe that was what fueled the inner fury that burned in my guts most of the time. I was born of violence. She had never wanted me. And just reading that just gives me the chills right now. I, I can't imagine reading that and feeling that way and finding out that information at a cost of not being able to talk to your half-brothers because you had to bargain <laughs> to get your information. So many casualties. So many casualties. Another thing that she talks about that really hit home to me was the subject of everyone talking about how you're lucky. And if you have great parents, then what do you, what's the, what's the, what's the problem? And that's another big one for a lot of adoptees that we talk about. And she kind of addresses it in a really good way. And she says, I could have been anyone. I could have been some dark-haired, heavy-set girl who hated to read, and my mother would have been whispering she loved her most of all into that girl's ear. It struck me as incredibly sad that the person my mother claimed to love most in the world was interchangeable, and so I didn't trust her affection. She didn't love me. She loved the space that I occupied. When she went to adopt a baby, she hadn't asked for me. She had asked for a baby. Anything, any color, either sex, as long as it was healthy. I know I could argue that this is true for any of us, no matter how we come to our parents. Our parents couldn't ask for any of us specifically. We still come out into the world as individuals, a kind of genetic crapshoot. But children born to their parents were created while adoptees were chosen. And the problem there is that in order to be chosen, we first had to be unchosen. The fact of the matter is that it's hard not to take being given up by your mother personally. Even if you did end up having a much better life than you would have had if she had kept you, even if she was 12 or had been raped or was so poor, she couldn't buy herself shoes. She was still your mom and she still chose to let you go. There must be something seriously wrong with you. For your mother to give you up because even when things get really hard, most people hang on to the things they love most. And she says, are you following this? Can you see the logic? That is such a great way to say that. Again, I'm getting the chills. I just think that that is perfect. Having a great adoptive family does not erase... The fact that you were unchosen by your mother, your birth mother, she didn't want you, period. And that is what is in every adoptee's brain. A parent is security. A parent is supposed to find a way to keep you and not have to give you up. It doesn't matter the circumstance. It doesn't matter that you were better off. It doesn't erase the feeling of being unchosen and abandoned. That is the primal wound. That is the wound we all carry. No matter what our adoptive experience was, and our stories can be so different. I had a positive experience. So many did not. It doesn't matter. We all have that primal wound in common, no matter what came after. So, so good. And in some of the things that she writes, it's almost like poetry, like this little part right here. And I have felt like this, and I've said this on the podcast, where you feel like the stork literally dropped you off and you were never born. And she says, maybe you weren't even born. My brain tells me, my story starts the day we got you, when everyone else I know has a story that starts the day you were born. I am a floater on this planet. Someone let go of my strings a long time ago. Just so heart-wrenching. I really, that just gets to me. It's so... Painfully beautiful and so true. I am a floater on this planet. I have no strings. I have no roots. I have, I've been replanted, uprooted and replanted. It's like an Italian cypress being replanted in an orange field you're taller than everyone else. You're thinner than everyone else. Everyone else makes oranges and you don't make fruit and you're still a tree and you're getting watered and all that stuff, but you're different and you stand out. And these are all things people don't want to discuss. Another thing she talks about is one of her relationships And she felt like she connected with this person because he had had some childhood trauma as well. And so she thought, what a great match. We can hold each other up. And one day he says to her, I'm so sick of all your excuses. You're 50 years old. You should be over the adoption thing by now. And she says that she just froze. And she says, I was done. My issues with adoption were sacred. And so she said, that's it. Get out. So then she's, you know, pondering the relationship. She's regretting letting him go. And what if I overreacted because of my trauma? And so she goes back to him and drives up to where he lives. So she said, ready to grovel. I drove up Rob's driveway and he was still sitting outside in his chair in his teaching clothes. He looked up from his phone, and there was no expression on his face. I wish he would smile. I got out of my car and walked over to him. I couldn't let it in like that. I said it didn't feel right. I'm convinced I can love you the way you need to be loved. I can love you like no one else has, not your mom, your dad, your previous wives. I see you. I know you need someone to stand by you, to be faithful, to adore you. I can do that but I'm going to make mistakes. You have to bear with me and talk it through. His face didn't change at all, but I saw a tear catch on the edge of his glasses. I want that, he said. I took a deep breath, smiled. I love you, I said. And then he says, you need to be grateful for your adoption. You're lucky you got the parents you did. Your adoptive parents are good to you. She stood up and walked to the car and drove away. She opened her heart, poured out her soul, probably compromised on everything that she had been thinking when she made that first decision, which was the right decision to walk away. She got scared and didn't want to lose the relationship. And so she went back and groveled and said all these things to him. And then he just, shit on her he said those words you are lucky get over it and where's the validation in that there isn't any so I haven't gotten to the end of the book I don't know if Rob comes back in the story oh my god I hope he doesn't what a jerk I just want to slap him You know, I was talking to a friend today about validation and I said, you don't have to agree with somebody's pain that they're telling you about to have some compassion and give some validation for what they're feeling. It's their journey. It's their feelings. You might feel a different way in that same position, but it doesn't mean that they're wrong and it doesn't mean that you can't be there for them still. And just listen and validate the story that they have experienced, the the way that they've experienced it. I use this analogy in another episode in season one, where two people can see the same situation and they can see it differently. And they're both right. You can be standing at a car and someone standing on the passenger side and the other person standing on the driver's side, both facing the car. Well, to one person, the car is going right and to the other person, the car is going to the left. They're both correct. They're just seeing it from their point of view. Nobody's wrong. You can still validate someone's experience and agree that you see it differently you could still be there for them. Lastly, I want to end with this. Do you remember the book? Are you my mother? I think everybody has seen or read that book. So she talks about that. This is another great analogy. So she says there's a popular children's book from 1960 called Are You My Mother? It's the one where the mother bird flies off to get food before the baby bird hatches. The baby says, where's my mother and hops out of the nest and search for her. He asks a kitten, a hen, a dog, a cow, and finally a steam shovel it calls Snort, if they are his mother. The steam shovel lifts the baby bird back to his nest as the mother bird arrives with a worm. I know who you are, the baby bird says. You are not a kitten or a hen or a dog. You are not a cow or a Snort. You are a bird and you are my mother. And that's it. A baby bird goes in search of his lost mother and finds her. This simple story, written in the 1960s, has sold over 10 million copies. It was voted one of the top 100 picture books of all time by the School Library Journal. This book has remained popular for all these years for a reason. People empathize with the baby bird. Of course it wants to find its mother. We want to know our origins, and more simply, we want to find our mothers. And then she says, why do people rush to get to movies on time? What's the big deal about starting 15 minutes into the show? Because no one wants to miss the beginning. In order to understand the ending, you generally need to see the beginning. In order to understand yourself, if you are a baby bird, you need to see that you came from a mama bird, not a steam shovel. And this is true, I believe, for most children who are adopted. Again, so, so good and such a great way to explain how we feel. Thank you, Anne Heffron, for putting some of this into perspective for me and everyone else listening. I am going to continue with this book next week for some more insights from Anne Heffern. So stay tuned for that. But as always... Take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Mind Your Own Karma, the Adoption Chronicles. I've had listeners ask how they can help support this podcast. The best way to do that is rate and review this podcast directly on your listening platform. You have no idea how this small gesture helps get the word out about this podcast. Don't forget to click the subscribe tab to get notified of future episodes. So you won't miss a thing. You can also find my Instagram and Facebook links below. If you would like to follow and support me there as well. Lastly, if you or someone, you know, would like to be a guest on the adoption Chronicles season of the podcast, you can email me at mind at gmail.com. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.